Good morning. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Today's sermon was written by Dr. Siegbert Becker once again and adapted once again by me, Jason Miller, uh, for lay service. In today's sermon, Dr. Becker goes into a theological concept um, called objective justification. Um, so those of you that are theologians may, may want to get out your bingo card. Um, it is based on verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which I will read to you now. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. This morning we turn our attention to the very important doctrine of the sinner's justification before God, which has often been called the central doctrine of the Christian religion in general and of Lutheranism in particular. In his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul says that God justifies the ungodly. Even though we've heard that passage many times, the full significance of what Paul says in those words sometimes escapes us. The word he uses there, which is translated as ungodly, is a very harsh word. It is used only seven times in the New Testament. In every passage in which it is used and in which the meaning can be accurately determined by the context, it is used to describe people who are unbelievers and who ultimately are lost in hell. What Paul is really saying when he writes that God justifies the ungodly is that God also forgives the sins of unbelievers. That surely sounds strange to many of us, for we usually say that God forgives the sins of all believers. And of course, that is true. But we should not understand that to mean that God forgives the sins only of believers, or that he does not forgive the sins of unbelievers. When we say, for example, that every third grader knows that two times two is four, We do not mean that only third graders know that or that the eighth graders do not know it. And when we say in the Apostles' Creed, as explained in the small catechism, that God forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers, this does not forbid us from saying that God also forgives the sins of unbelievers. The Bible teaches that God forgives the sins of unbelievers. The Bible teaches that God forgives or justifies the ungodly. It says that God has actually forgiven the sins of all people. The text that we have before us this morning is one of the Bible passages in which this truth, which is really very important for all of us, is taught very clearly. And this truth, that God has forgiven the sins of all people, is our focus this morning. Paul writes, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. This can also be read, not charging people's sins against them. 
When a store charges something to you, it expects you to pay for it. When God no longer charges our sins to us, that means that he does not expect us to pay for them. He will not hold them against us. That he has, in fact, forgiven them. And that he has canceled all the debts we owe him under the law. That not charging our sins against us or not imputing them to us is the same as forgiving them is made very clear in the same chapter of Romans in which Paul says that God justifies the ungodly. There, he quotes the 32nd Psalm, which says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. To forgive sin, to cover sin, and to not charge sin are three different ways of expressing the same thought. Therefore, when Paul says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, he very clearly tells us that in Christ, he has forgiven the sins of all people. He has reconciled the world to himself, and the world surely includes all people. When John the Baptist said that Christ is the Lamb of God and takes away the sins of the world, that surely means that he took away the sins of all people. The prophet Isaiah also compared the coming Savior to a lamb who would be sacrificed for our sin. And in that connection, he wrote, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When the apostle John says that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice, for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world, that again surely includes every sinner, every human being who has ever lived, and every human being who ever will live on this planet. This same world of people which God loved, this world whose sins the Lamb of God has taken away, this world for whose sins the Son of God was sacrificed, This same world, according to our text, has been reconciled to God by the fact that God does not count its sins against it. If that means anything at all, it means that the sins of the whole world, that the sins of all people, have been forgiven. Now, Paul states that same truth in different words in the fifth chapter of Romans, where he says that through the righteousness of Christ, justification, that is a verdict of not guilty, has been pronounced over all people. And this doctrine is also confessed in the Lutheran confessions. The Apology of the Augsburg Confession, for example, says, When the Lord Jesus Christ came, he forgave to all sin which no one could avoid. It must, however, never be forgotten that God has forgiven the sins of all people in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. While the statement that God has forgiven the sins of all people is the very heart of the gospel, those who want to be faithful to the Bible must also remember that in the law, God says that he will not forgive any sin and that all sins will surely be punished, that everyone who does not continue in all the things that are written in the book of the law will be cursed and damned. No one should ever, therefore, say that because God has forgiven the sins of all people, all people will go to heaven. While it is true that every sin is forgiven, it is also true that every sin must be punished. Those who want to believe the Bible must believe both, that their sins have been forgiven, 
and that their sins have been punished. The only thing in the world that makes it possible for anyone to believe both of those seemingly contradictory statements is the death and resurrection of Christ. In his death, the sins of the whole world were punished. Earlier in this same chapter, Paul had written, One died for all, and therefore all died. In Christ, all people suffered the punishment which their sins had deserved. Paul says that they all died in him. And when he was raised from the dead, God, by raising him, made a public proclamation that the sins for which he had been sentenced to die were all paid for. Therefore, apart from Jesus, no one has a right to believe that his sins are forgiven. This is what Paul teaches us when he writes that in Christ, God has reconciled the world to himself. Paul explains this further in the last verse of our text where he writes, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The one who knew no sin is, of course, the Lord Jesus. Many times the Bible reminds us of his sinlessness. He is called a lamb without blemish and without spot. Peter says that he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. The book of Hebrews tells us that he was in all ways tempted as we are, yet without sin. But even though he was completely sinless and innocent, God made him to be sin for us in our place. Our sins were imputed or charged to him, so that as the prophet Isaiah had foretold, he was numbered with the transgressors. And since he bore the punishment of the sins which were imputed to him, God now imputes his innocence to us. In God's ledger, he gives us credit for all the things Jesus did so that his perfect fulfillment of the law is credited to us. In that way, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. There are people also in the Lutheran church who object to this doctrine because they say that it cannot be right. For if it were right, then it would mean that people who go to hell have also been forgiven. And this is impossible. But still, still, the words of our text clearly say that God has forgiven the sins of the whole world. We never have a right to reject any teaching of the Bible because we cannot see how it could possibly be true. What God says is right, even if it seems impossible to us. As Paul says in another verse, we ought to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Yet our text points out the answer to this problem. Paul says that God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. The message of reconciliation is the gospel. The word that tells us that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself by not counting people's sins against them, by forgiving the sins of all people. This message he has commanded us to preach. To preach this gospel is to preach forgiveness, to announce forgiveness to the world, not to tell people what they must do to be forgiven, but just to tell them that they are forgiven for Jesus' sake. Now, when we go out at God's command and tell people that their sins are forgiven because Jesus died and rose again for them, there are two things that can happen. Either they will believe it, or they will not. If they are concerned about their salvation and if they have taken seriously what God says to them in the law, which tells them that they deserve to go to hell, 
they will be happy to hear that these sins of theirs have been forgiven by God. And if they keep on believing this, their happiness will last through all eternity. On the other hand, they do not believe this. Then the good news of forgiveness will bring them no joy and no comfort. And if they remain in that unbelief, then through all eternity, they will be without the comfort that the good news of forgiveness could give them. To be without that comfort and joy is to be eternally damned. And this is really the pain of hell. That is why Paul says in our text, Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God reconciled the world to himself when he forgave the sins of all people for Jesus' sake. He commanded his church to preach this good news to every creature, to all people, to all nations. And people will be reconciled to God when they believe what the church tells them. There is tremendous comfort in this doctrine, especially in times of doubt and despair. We do not always have to ask first, am I a believer? That question can lead to total despair when we think that God will forgive us if we are sorry or if we believe. I may not always be sure that I am a believer, but this doctrine tells me that I can always be sure that my sins are forgiven. I can be sure of that because he himself tells me that for Jesus' sake, he has forgiven the sins of the whole world, and that also includes me. As Luther says in his large catechism, God has given us the gospel in which is pure forgiveness before we prayed or ever thought about it. And that is a wonderful thing to know. Amen. Please stand. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.